Thank you for tuning in to Adversity University and welcome to class. Today we had the opportunity to interview the first ever American born player to get drafted into the NHL. It was, there were six entry drafts and no Americans were taken. Obviously it was only Canadians. They talk about Canada being the home of hockey and her boxer was the first American taken. And it's kind of a surprising story because we get into it. He didn't even make the varsity team at his college of Michigan tech as a freshman. And then he played one year as a sophomore and was drafted to the NHL, which, you know, it doesn't even really hit home for him still. I think from interviewing him, Garrett can attest to this too. It was just a different lifestyle back then. He's had some, some pretty hard things he had to go through and he's still going through and he just kind of shrugs them off. Like we ask about it and they're not a big deal because that's just the way things were. He was around during the Vietnam draft and I know Garrett and I chuckled briefly, like what a draft would be like today. Like people, we wouldn't know what to do. It was just a, a way different way of thinking. And Garrett, what did you think about Herb? Well, first of all, if millennials were getting drafted today, they would just say, no, I'm not going. Um, yeah. But back then those guys were just totally different. They were brutes. And um, it was funny because we were talking to him about, you know, what type of off season training did he go through to, better himself after his freshman year. And he was like, well, we didn't do off season training. It's just crazy to think about how much the game has evolved over time. And uh, I think how much more involved those people were in the community. I think fitness to, you know, people of that generation was just their jobs, like their summer jobs. They were just kind of farm boys, especially growing up in a smaller town in Michigan. Um, their jobs were having lifting or heavy lifting and that's how they got their exercise in. And they would skate obviously, but yeah, boxer was just a very humble person. And, it was kind of weird because some of our questions he didn't even necessarily have the longest answers to because as Sean attested, I don't think he really realized the adversity that he went through. I still don't think he has realized any of the adversity that he's gone through just because of the generation era he grew up in. Um, Sean said he shrugged everything off and he really did. I honestly think that if you asked him what adversity he's gone through, he would tell you none. Yeah, it's it's just a, a different way of thinking that helped him get through life and achieve everything he did. He's he's in the Upper Peninsula Hall of Fame as well as the Michigan Tech Hall of Fame, I believe. Yep, 2006. And yeah, and he just he had a get it done attitude and it was really nice to be around someone who, you know, no BS, you know, straightforward. Let's let's kick it on over to Herb Boxer. The Colorado Rampage are excited to announce a player development partnership with Power Edge Pro Hockey. PEP's reactive countering training concept is the type of innovative skill development that will greatly impact our organization. Developing players to the next level is the Colorado Rampage's number one priority, and incorporating PEP hockey into our training will help us get there. Visit their website at corampage.com. That's C-O-R-A-M-P-A-G-E.com. Be better today than you were yesterday and join the herd. Today's guest was a pioneer for American-born players in the game of hockey. On June 5th, 1968, in the sixth ever NHL draft, Kurt Bennett and Herb Boxer became the first American players ever selected at the NHL entry draft. Boxer was taken 17th overall by the Detroit Red Wings. During his career, he was also named captain of Team USA at the 1975 World Ice Hockey Championship 
and as a coach, he won WCHA Coach of the Year in 1988 at his alma mater, Michigan Tech. Welcome to the podcast, Herb Boxer. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. What was it like growing up in Hancock, Michigan, a town of only about 3,000 people? Um, just a northern town with a lot of snow, yeah. <laughs> outdoor rinks. Uh, you know, you grew up in a small town. No one locked your doors at that point, that point in time. And uh, you just, uh, it, was a, it was a really enjoyable experience for me. Yeah. How did you get started in hockey? Uh, just tried, you know, they, they had a local program at one of the outdoor rinks in town. And it's, you know, it was an after school program that the uh, two players from Hancock uh, put together uh, that were playing at Michigan Tech, Bob Hazard and Paul Capo. Mm -hmm. And it was all seven, eight year old kids. And we started that way after school. Nice. You mentioned Michigan Tech and you attended Tech as a, a freshman. You spent the season on the junior team. What adjustments did you have to make uh, to make the varsity team your sophomore year? Well, at that time, you know, it was pretty competitive uh, as it is all the time, but you always had a junior varsity and a varsity team there. And uh, they had over 40 players on campus. And uh, not only uh, freshmen were on the junior varsity team, but there were some upperclassmen. So if you weren't playing as well as you possibly can, mm -hmm. uh, you know, someone else would be there to take your spot. Right. So there's a lot of competition for it. And you, uh, you're aware of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What did you do differently maybe in the off season or how did you make the step from JV to varsity? Actually, not, nothing differently because we never did anything in the off season. Yeah. We played baseball. <laughs> <laughs> we played baseball. That was it. And uh, that, that off season, my, uh, my uh, uh, between freshman and sophomore year, I went actually went down to Detroit and uh, worked on construction down there, the hanging drywall. Wow. Uh, so, uh, you know, just trying to make money, that's all. Yeah, you bring up Detroit, and after only one season of playing on the varsity team, you were the first American selected in the NHL draft. What was this feeling like, and how did you find out you'd been drafted? Um, that's a good question, but, you know, it's, it's, it started, uh, I had hurt my knee uh, halfway through the season, and I had an operation at the end of the season, and I was rehabbing in the uh, athletic department, uh, working on my knee that uh, right after uh, final exams, and Coach John McGinnis came in. And he started talking to me, and he said, uh, "I had a call, uh, and he might be drafted. Uh, I'm not sure who it's going to be, but uh, they think they someone's uh, someone's going to draft you." And it, I just flew right by me. I didn't think much of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, next day uh, on the radio it was a Saturday morning. It was announced that I was, I was drafted. And so, anyways, and at that time, you know, players didn't go to, uh, it was in Montreal, players didn't go to uh, go to the draft. And you, know, you just, you heard about it over the news. Mm -hmm. Your wife actually heard that you were drafted, but she didn't think it was for hockey, right? No, because that was the time the Vietnam War was on. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, it's, you know, you, it just said you, you get drafted, you know, and there was no mention of anything else. Yeah. Yes. So she probably wasn't very excited, even though it was an awesome well, thing. She asked, she, she asked me and I told her what was going on. Yeah, so that's funny. She was probably relieved to hear that it wasn't in the going, you weren't going to the Vietnam War. At that time, yes. <laughs> in your first season in the minors, you suffered a back injury that caused you to fail a physical for that team. 
How did this injury affect your career, if it, at all? Well, I had the back injury in, in college, all right, but it, it, it was troublesome uh, during the year. But, it, you know, going from, uh, from college to uh, pro hockey, that's a big adjustment yeah. uh, at that point because, uh, you know, there weren't many college guys coming and going into the pros pro ranks at that time. And uh, you had to earn your way. Uh, I don't care if, you, if they sign you, you still had to earn your way and get into the lineup, and it was tough. There was a lot of competition, and you had to learn learn the pro game. You didn't you didn't deviate from your wing. I was a right wing, and you went up and down that wing, and you never left it. And if you left your check, the defenseman you, you, uh, let, let you know, and you had to cover your, your guy constantly. So it was not like today when people were moving all over the ice and we bobbing and weaving. Yeah. yeah. And that was a difference from college to pro, or it was the same way in college and pro? In college, we had a little, little more leeway, mm -hmm. uh, but in pro, you, you stuck, you know, your lane, you covered your lane, and you made sure your guy was covered because you let, if you let him go, you know, you know he was going to be wide open. Right, yeah. right. What did you do to cope with this chronic back pain? You mentioned you had it in college and it carried with you over into it pro, just, so... Was there anything you did off the ice that helped alleviate some of this pain you had? No, it, 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 it just, uh, I guess it cured itself. And, you know, it just, it wasn't a big problem uh, after, after my uh, first year in pro. But, uh, you know, it's just uh, one of those things that, you know, you, it healed itself and I was able to uh, move on. Yeah. You mentioned uh, having some knee issues as well. Was that a similar thing where it sort of healed itself or? Well, no, we actually, I had a knee operated on after my sophomore year. And, uh, you know, I did some rehabbing on that in between the sophomore and junior, but it, they didn't have the facilities at the time that they do now mm -hmm. in college. And so it, it took me, a, oh, probably a whole year to, to get that leg strength, strength to where it should have been. Yeah. How were you able to play without that leg at the strength you were used to? How did you have to cope with that? It was difficult because you didn't have the agility and the quickness. All right, that's the biggest thing, you know, the quickness. Now, you know, I had I had pretty good speed, but uh, I, my first three strides were really really quick. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that you you miss that quickness and you're you're you're, you're handicapped. Yeah. You know, one of the quickest guys I ever played against was Willie Reed in the American League, and you know, I was the first time I saw him play. And uh, the guy said, "Watch him," and he, we, were, we were lined up on the faceoff, and he. I was, I was watching him and all of a sudden he took off and I said, Oh boy, that's quick. <laughs> and so after that, you know, I just made sure I was aware, were aware of him all over the ice and uh, didn't let him go because, you know, your defense partners that you were working with, you know, they were counting on you to cover that guy. And he was really quick. Right. It's crazy for me to note that back in that time during the game, you guys didn't really do a whole lot of strength training. It doesn't sound like there was a lot of stuff that was done when players had injuries. And I wonder if it would have, help the longevity of these players back in that day because you look at it now and uh, you know there's so many PTs and strength and conditioning coaches and all this to prevent injury and to speed up the process when you are injured um, I'm curious to to wonder back in those days if there was some more you know technologically advanced medical things or processes if it would have helped the longevity of some of these older players knowing what I know now yes I think so yeah I think so yeah definitely you know, even even things like just like just diet, you know, how how you how you train, how you eat, and everything else, and consequently, you know, you're going to be a better player. Yeah, it just makes me wonder 
you know, 20, 30 years from now, what are they going to be saying that we've been doing wrong this whole time? Crazy to think about. After your playing career, you decided to get into coaching. What made you want to be a coach? And what was the hardest part about that transition? Well, coaching, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those things, you know, the opportunity was there and I enjoyed the game and I enjoyed working with younger players. Um, so I said, you know, this, this should be a good thing to do. And just moved into that role when the opportunity became available. Yeah. Was there a reason that you stayed at Michigan Tech? Uh, that was the job I was offered. You know, <laughs> you know, the, Rick Yo had left and he had gone to uh, Lake Superior State. So I, uh, I went in as assistant coach and I ran their summer, summer uh, athletic programs at Michigan Tech as part of my duties. And so it was a natural, it was a good fit. Yeah. What were some of your best memories from your coaching career? Well, just just the interaction with the players and, and the competition. That's it. You know, you you're, you're playing you're playing teams like you know like Wisconsin, North Dakota, Minnesota, and it's a challenge each week to you know the, to analyze what they're doing and what their game plan is going to be, and you know what you expect you're going to do, and the the players that you're you're uh, you're matching your players up against too. Because I I knew a lot of those players, you know, because I, I was a junior coach. Uh, assistant coach in 78 and 79. Mm-hmm. What was the transition like going from a player to a coach? Were there things that you kind of were able to see from the bench that was like, oh, it would have made my game better if I had known that. Uh, I, I don't think there was much of a transition. I thought it was, it was pretty easy going from being a player to a coach. Uh, you just had to learn some of the, some of the things about, you know, systems that, you know, that, uh, you know, John McInnes, uh, you know, was trying to put across to his players and you know teach them. You know he was always trying to improve his his systems within his his, his particular team, and so so uh, you just picked up what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, a good I, coach. Yeah, it's, it sounds like you took your knowledge and experience from the game and put it onto the younger players. Was there an adjustment period? I know you said there wasn't, but was there an adjustment period when you were behind the bench with like your emotions because? At least for me, I think Sean's the same way. When we go to play a game, we get pretty fired up, and I know that our coaches do too. But did you learn have to, to kind of take a step back and realize that you're not going to be able to put yourself in the game and immediately impact it, and it's more of a checkers chess type of game? Well, uh, working with a guy like John at Tech, uh, you, you knew your place and you watched what you were doing because you, know, he, you, you're, you had interactions with players and uh, players all the time particularly in practice, but he, he managed to bench a pretty uh, firmly during the games. And he didn't want uh, that type of, that, those types of actions to, to come out on the bench. He wanted to handle it. Mm-hmm. And so you learn, you know, you learn from him there. Yeah. Garrett brings up a good point about how coaching is so different from playing, because obviously you can't directly go out and score a goal, right? No. What are some things that make, coaches better than other coaches? Is it just X's and O's or? Sometimes it's X's and O's and sometimes it's how, how they handle the players. Uh, your personnel management, you, know, you gotta do that. You know, it's, just, it's like sometimes you say, well, why did this guy get fired in the National Hockey League? And you know, he had strong teams up until this point. Well, some, sometimes you lose the locker room, right? Yeah. And so you gotta keep keep the locker room under control and and uh, things things like that happen, but it's important. I think you brought up a great point there, and I don't know if it's necessary X's and O's, especially when you get to the Division One level and the pro levels, because those guys are clearly there for a reason. I think it's more so getting those guys to be able to play for you. 
And, you know, you look at some of the teams that are in the playoffs now and some teams that are out, take Toronto, for example, they have, you know, what is it, five of the highest paid players in the entire league and they're out of the playoffs. And then you look at a team like Columbus or even Colorado that has some of those top end guys, but they have other guys that aren't even paid as much, but they're just willing to sacrifice and do everything necessary for their teammates and for the coaches. So to me, I think you just brought out a great point, which is culture. And, and getting those guys bought into the same belief system and going out there and executing. I agree with you there. Back to your playing career really briefly. Uh, you got offered to play for the 1970 Team USA as well as the Red Wings. Uh, why did you decide to play in the NHL instead of for Team USA? Well, back then, the, the uh, U.S. national team, uh, they, were, they were putting it together for the 72 Olympics. And I was married at the time. And I went to camp and I played really well at camp. You know, you know if you play well or not. Mm -hmm. And I played well at the camp. And I asked them before I left them what's happening. And they said they didn't know what's happening. And I, I, I get that. They, didn't, they hadn't had their meetings or anything like that. So uh, I went on. I said, uh, well, you know I'm leaving uh, in a couple of days going to Detroit's camp. And from, you know, I said, so I have to know. And uh, went to Detroit's camp. And I was doing fairly well at Detroit's camp. And they had they offered me a contract. So I tried to get a hold of the national team and see what they were going to do. And I couldn't get a hold of them at the time. You know, it wasn't cell phones or answering machines or anything like that. And you tried to put the pressure on me. So I signed. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I also heard that uh, you have an interesting pregame meal. Pregame meals? Yeah. Like what? I don't know. I was talking to Jack and he said, ask him what his pregame meal was. Oh, my pregame meal was always spaghetti. That's oh. all. Okay. It sounds like the Sidney Crosby thing. I think he has to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before he goes to the rink. Yeah. Um, so you just brought it up, but you were recently in a car accident that um, severely injured your wife. Can you talk about this a little bit and how you have gotten through that tough time? Well, it, it's... it's been over a year now it's been 13 months mm. happened july 22nd of last year and she spent uh honestly close to three months in the hospital in grand rapids and in, in rehab rehab hospital uh mary freebed uh hospital in grand rapids and it's an excellent hospital and, and uh as, when she went there after traverse city um she couldn't walk she was bedridden and uh, they got her to walk uh but uh right now she's uh She's a fighter, she's battling it, and uh, she can walk, limited walking, and she looks like a 24-month-old uh, toddler walking around, you know, how, if you can imagine that, but uh, she's coming around. But her biggest issue right now are her hands and arms, and she had very limited use of, of her hands and arms, and uh, they're working on it, the uh, therapists are working on it now. But she also has severe pain in her hands, too. Mm -hmm. So It has to be tough for you as her husband to kind of watch that and not be able to do a lot. Is there anything that you are able to do to just help her out? And well, I, I'm a caregiver 24 hours a day. Yeah. So that, 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 that limits what I can do. You know, we have a lady who comes in uh, three days a week and helps us out, but I'm here most of the time, you know, trying to, trying to take care of things and that, that preparing meals and that keeping the house clean. Yeah. So. Well, we wish her a speedy recover, obviously, and hopefully Thank she can get, a little bit more mobility uh, back and hopefully she gets rid of some of this pain soon with uh, the rehab and stuff. And you briefly keep mentioning Michigan and I just want to ask what is Michigan meant to you? You grew up in Michigan, you went to Michigan tech, uh, you went back to coach your alma mater. So what, 
What has the great state of Michigan meant to you growing up and even now? Well, it's, it's, it's just a really nice place to live. You know, it's, it's, there's four seasons there and the people are great. Mm-hmm. The people are really outstanding there. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, they treat you well. Everybody treats you well. And uh, just the atmosphere, like this time of the year there, the lakes, you know, the golf courses, you know, lakes go swimming, it's water skiing. Uh, and if you're a hunter, you can hunt in the fall. Uh, snow skiing is all, all winter long. Snowmobiling, you know, there's a lot of activities to do. You know, great. It's a great place to grow up. Yeah. Your son and grandson have also had great hockey careers. What has it been like watching them grow in the same sport that you love? Well, you know, it's 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 interesting that you know we you know you introduced uh, I introduced my both my sons to to hockey and they 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 they, they took it up and they enjoyed it. Uh, fortunately, Mark went, went on and. He's, he's, uh, he played at Miami University in Ohio, and then he, now he works for USA Hockey. He's doing, he works with the, uh, the junior level, uh, the junior teams in the United States. And uh, it's, it's really nice to see that trans- you know, his transformation from a player to a, to a manager in his, his capacity. Uh, I, I'm really happy, you know, looking at my, my younger grandsons. I have three grandsons that played the game, and uh, they all enjoy it, and they're all competitive. And that's that's the biggest thing is that they got to be competitive. I don't care how skilled they are; if they don't work it. It's it's tough. Right. You remember playing the game, and we talked a little bit how the game has totally evolved over the years. Um, but what is your take on going from when you were playing to evolving to watching your sons play, and now evolving to watch your grandsons playing? What what have you taken away that has changed so much in the game from then and now? Well, what I what I what I've learned is I. I I just sit back and watch and try to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't. There's nothing I can do from where I'm. I'm watching the game, and uh, you know, mistakes going to be made on the ice, but as long as they're made through effort, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And if it's lack of effort, that, that's a problem. But uh, you know, everybody has a certain amount of talents and certain amount of God-given ability, and let's use it and, and go out there and play as hard as you possibly can. But respect your opponent too. But, uh, you, know, and, you know, I just enjoy watching the kids play now. And at, before this accident, I was always out um, hel- helping the, the junior teams, the, the minor league teams here in town uh, with, with coaching and instructing. So I enjoy it. Yeah, that's definitely a really good point. And it's something that I've heard all the way growing up, from minor hockey to junior to college, is a coach is never going to be mad at you for a mistake. Sidney Crosby makes mistakes. It's when you make that mistake and then you get mad and you smash your stick rather than, you know, giving it a hundred percent effort to get back and make up for it. Mm-hmm. So attitude and effort is all we can control. Yep. Control the controllables. You mentioned uh, your grandson, your son playing the game. What knowledge that you gained from your experiences did you pass on to them? What knowledge, you know, mainly just can compete. They got to compete. If they don't compete, uh, you know, the game is really difficult. You're not going to succeed at it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for letting us come over and hear a little bit about your story. Sure. It's always great to hear from people who have been through through the journey and learning from them. And your your son and your grandson are very lucky to have you to lean on. I'm very lucky to have them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Harry. We appreciate it. Thank you.